Our Old Testament reading is from Exodus chapter 19. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading is from Colossians chapter 3. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel reading is from Mark chapter 3. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the third chapter. And he went up to the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Okay, so um, again, uh, this Advent season, we're working uh, through some uh, key things that we, as God's people, are looking forward to being accomplished. Uh, there's so. Basically, the foundation for this is in the Bible, there's this always this sense of anticipation. There's always this sense that God is going to do something. He's going to fix the problems that we have. And we see that all through the Old Testament. We see it all through the New Testament as well. And you and I sense that as well. Those of you who are Christians do. Those of you who are not Christians also have this desire for things to be repaired, for things to be made right, whatever it is. And we've talked about uh, uh, some of these things. Uh, we desire to like 
we desire to be accepted by God. To, to, we desire to like have worth, to be worthy for God, or if you don't believe in God, for yourself, or for somebody to look at you and say, yes, you're worth living. Your existence here is important on some level. But even those of you who are most secure in yourself or most secure in your relationship with God or however you want to put it, you sense that it's not there. There's moments of self-doubt. We've talked about that. Today, we've talked about other things too, but today we're going to talk about um, uh, community. And I realize too, and sometimes I'll do this, I'll talk about something that I talk about once a quarter and I'll apologize and say, I know we just talked about this recently. And then somebody's going to say, no, no, keep on talking about it. And that's encouraging to me. Uh, this is the sort of thing that it's, uh, what I'm about to say in this sermon is pretty counter, pretty countercultural. And I'm always fighting against it. I believe in this, but I don't really, fr- frequently I don't believe in this. I, I kind of want to do things my own way. And so, um, if, if I can keep on saying this stuff uh, about community and relationship, I think it's important because a lot of us, you know, so there, we're, all, all of us are kind of on this spectrum. And some of you, you know it, you feel it. Some of you have told me, like, I was a member of this church and I didn't even know anybody and I just felt so alone. Or, you know, I don't really have a lot of friends. Um, I'm just, you know, I wish that I had more friends. People will say stuff like that. And we, we sense this desire for, like, to belong to a group. Some of you don't. So some of you are right up on this spectrum where you can taste, you can taste the desire for what God has designed you for, for relationship. Some of you are still, like, pretty confirmed postmoderns. Like, I can do it on my own. Some of you are way over here. Some of you are like, I'd rather be lonely and bored than to have a relationship with anybody. And I'm not talking about introverts and extroverts here. Like, I'm, I'm seriously introverted. But I, I crave relationship a lot of times, and then sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just want to be left alone or to do things on my own. And we're all sort of on this spectrum. And so if you're on this far, you know, if you're on this postmodern, this, I'm an American, I'm an individual. If you're on that side, what I want to do this morning is encourage you that God has designed you for something better. That God has designed you, there's a way to live in Jesus Christ where you don't have to live with all of your weaknesses. There are people who have strengths in the area that I'm weak that will cover those weaknesses up if I allowed that to, if I allowed that to happen. And for those of you who are like, yes, I want this. I want to know and I want to be known. I want to love and I want to be loved. There's hope for this. Like God has a plan for this. And in Advent, remember Advent is God's permission to us to be discontented with the way things are wrong with the world. Advent is God's permission to you to be discontented with the things that are wrong with your life. That's permissible. So let's, in Jesus' name, uh, chase after what God has described in in, uh, his uh, word for us. I'm going to do something a little bit different, too. I'm not just, what, what I usually try to do is like have one text and read through it and explain it. And today I'm going to, I'm going to talk about uh, several different of the other readings this morning, if that's okay. So three things that I want to say about, uh, community and relationship, um, each having to do with the Old Testament reading, the epistle reading, the gospel reading. Uh, one is that Christian unity, community, relationship, Christian relationship is God's plan from the very, very beginning. It was God's design from the beginning for us to be in relationship. Uh, two, Christian unity, Christian relationship, is fundamentally about God's mission 
to rescue his creation. It's not fundamentally about, like, I need friends, and so there's a way God created a place for me to get friends. It's true. It's about God's plan to rescue his creation. That's what Christian relationship is about. And then finally, um, Christian relationship, Christian unity is our destiny. It's what God created us for. So let's talk about the first one. And this is from the Old Testament reading in Exodus 19, which is in your bulletin. God's unity, uh, Christian unity is God's plan from the beginning. So God calls Abraham, he calls an individual, but he tells him right away, this is in Genesis 12, he tells him right away, like, I'm going to create a people out of you. I'm going to create a nation out of you. And that's what he does with Israel. This is right before he gives them the Ten Commandments in Exodus 19. And he's talking to them about you know who you are and who I see you as and my plans for you as a people. And here's what his plans are. Look down at verse, let's start at verse 4. You yourselves uh, have seen, I'm sorry, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. He's talking about the Exodus. And now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me, check out these next two phrases, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God created us to be a holy nation. That word holy uh, means like separated, different. And, and if you if you focus on that word, that, that we are a people that were created to be pulled out from the world, you might get the notion. So first of all, like our relationship with each other is special because God has called us to be separate. All of us, you know, all of us different from different places in life. God's brought us together to be separate from the world. Like my relationship with you should be tighter than my relationship with anybody else. We're a holy nation. We are God's separate people. Now, if, you, if you just think about holy nation, you could come to the misunderstanding. Like, so that's the purpose. We are God's ghetto. Like God pulled us out of the world to get us inside these church walls so we could be safe from all the nasty unbelievers out there. You know, we, we, we don't listen to rock music. Uh, we don't read magazines and stuff like that. And that's actually not what's going on because we're also, this verse says, look, we're, we're also a kingdom of priests. We're a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, what are priests? What's the job of a priest? The job of a priest in the Old Testament is to stand between God and the people as the conduit between God and the people. So there are definite people, people with definite roles as priests in the Old Testament. But here God says, I've called you guys to be a kingdom of priests. It's our job to be the holy nation, to be separate, to be one. This goes way back to the beginning. Right at the beginning, God's plan to rescue the world involves calling us to be separate and one, but for the purpose that we will be like a holy, like a kingdom of priests, that we will be as a group, a conduit between God and Glenn Carbon. That's what God's called us to do here. This isn't just about like getting together and singing songs and listening to a sermon and say hi to each other. And it's good to know as we go throughout our week that there's people who think like us and act like us and look like us. The point is, is that this right here is the training ground for us to be God's priest to Glenn Carbon, which brings us to the second point, that Christian unity is how Jesus accomplishes his mission. I mean, you can see it in that verse, right? I've called you to be a kingdom of priests. I've gathered together a group of people in order to be like my the conduit of my grace, to the world around them. So look at Matthew, or yeah, look at the, uh, not Matthew, but Mark, the uh, gospel reading. Jesus calls 12 disciples. He goes up on the mountain. He calls to them those whom he desired. 
In verse 4, he does this so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So Jesus, look, it's Jesus' desire to call you. This goes back to the holy nation. In in, uh, verse 13, we are the ones that God's called together because God wanted you guys here. He wanted you to be involved in this community and in this mission. It's, it's his pleasure. Like, you aren't second pickings. Also, your presence in this community is not random. It's not, well, I had to go to church and I looked in the phone book. Maybe that's how you got here. But actually, behind all of that is God's desire that you be here. But for this purpose, two things. Look at verse 14. One, so that they might be with him. God wants people. Think about being a conduit, a kingdom of priests. Jesus wants people who will be with him, who will share his life with him. This is not necess- this is not just a social club. This is our connection to Jesus. This is sharing in the life of Christ. Jesus meets with us in his word. He meets with us in his sacraments. He meets with us in our relationship with each other. That's why he calls us the body of Christ. Being with Jesus is the first thing that Jesus calls disciples to do. But the second thing he calls them to do is this, to send them out to preach and to have authority to, to cast out demons. He sends them out to do what he does, right? Jesus preaches the gospel and casts out demons. He calls us to be with him, number one, and then to go on the mission that he's on. Be with him, and then go on the mission that he's on. In order for Jesus to rescue the world, Jesus has to go all over the world. Jesus, being a human, being the God-man, can only walk in a certain space in Galilee when he's alive. And even now he's at the right hand of the Father. So how does Jesus get his mission to rescue the world to Glen Carbon when he's not physically here? And the answer is, you guys. You are with him, and then he sends you out. So, so think about Mozart. Mo- Mozart's got this symphony going on in his head. He can hear the whole thing. He's got this plan for how beautiful it's going to be. He knows what parts are going to move you to restlessness. He knows what parts are going to move you to tears. He knows what parts are going to give you so much joy that you almost laugh out loud. All of that's in Mozart's head. How does Mozart get us to laugh out loud or to be restless or to be filled with passion? He, he, he can't do it himself. It's just in his head. What he does is he gets it down on paper and then he calls musicians and he puts them all together and he gives them the music and you're playing the bassoon if you're in this orchestra and you're like, this doesn't really sound like much of anything. It just sounds like a bassoon part, which if you play the bassoon is not super entertaining. Sorry if you play the bassoon. And so you're just playing this and like, who knows what it's going to sound like. But all together... The entire orchestra is making this beautiful, passionate piece of music. You're with Mozart, and then he sends you out to do his mission, which is create these emotions, to create these thoughts, to create these patterns of feelings that his symphony is going to do. Shakespeare's writing a play, and he's got in mind this dramatic story, and it's going to blow people away. But Shakespeare, what's he going to do? Like, he could maybe tell you the story, but even then, if it's going to be really dramatic, he's going to have to do different voices, and maybe he doesn't, maybe he can't do different voices. What does he do? He puts it down on paper. He gets together a team of actors, and they start acting it out. 
And before you know, the fourth wall's down and you're living in this separate world. And maybe if you're an actor and you're learning your three lines that you got in there and you're like, oh, this is kind of lame. I come on once or twice. I got two or three lines and my lines maybe don't make a ton of sense just by themselves. But you start acting in that play and before you know it, like people are on the edge of their seat, eyes wide open. Frank Lloyd Wright, he's got a vision in his head of this beautiful house. And he knows what he wants, he knows what he wants it to look like. How is he going to do that? How is he going to get you to live in that house when it's in his head? What's the answer? He puts it down on paper. He gets together a team of builders. And maybe you're like stacking bricks, you're one of the builders, and you're like, this is pretty boring, you know, I'm doing this all day long. But everybody else is working around you too and doing their boring tasks. And in the middle of the boring task, you're just playing the bassoon. Or you're just walking on stage as an extra. Or you're just laying another brick. But if you step back from that, you can see the mission. You can hear the symphony. You can sit in awe of the play. You can be blown away by the clean vertical lines, horizontal lines of a Frank Lloyd Wright house. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's got this plan to rescue the world. And here you are, like you got problems with your kids, right? And like you got car issues and financial issues. And you don't feel that good this week. And like you're in the middle of these relationships with these people and you're like, I'm not really sure, is it worth it to even, if people get in bad relationships, they don't like the pastor, they don't like their friends, or they get in a disagreement about a certain program, and you leave the church, and I'm not saying it's, it's, I'm not saying it's always wrong to leave a church, but sometimes they're like right in the middle of performing the symphony and they're like, this bassoon's, my, my bassoon's playing, and like the clarinets are right there, and they're not playing the same thing. Like I'm gonna get up and walk out of here, I can't take this anymore. And if you could just hear the whole thing and realize the bassoons are playing one thing and the clarinets are playing something else and you're laying brick and the other person's pushing up a wood beam and you've got a small part and they've got a big part. And if you could step back and see the mission, you could see that God is actually using our differences to build a community so that we could be on his mission. His mission. It's all happening at Jesus. And and, and unlike unlike Wright, Frank Lloyd Wright, or, you know, Shakespeare or Mozart. It's not just happening in their head. It's happening in Jesus' crucified body and risen body. That's where the mission is happening. And now he's put it down on paper. And he says, you guys, start playing the music. And it might be wonky a little bit. You might mess up your parts. A lot of this takes practice. You don't just lay a straight, perfectly horizontal line of bricks the first time you try. You mess around with it. But at some point, and for those of you who have faith, you can step back and see the beautiful thing that's being built, the beautiful scene that's being made, the beautiful music that's being played, in spite of the fact that it doesn't look like much of anything here on our micro level. Because Christian community is fundamentally about mission. Jesus could do it all himself, but he calls 12 disciples, some of whom are not going to get along, many of whom come from different backgrounds, but they get together and they play this amazingly beautiful music, sometimes even when they don't know they're doing it. That's how powerful the music of Jesus is. The third thing, though, is that this Christian unity is our destiny. Now, look at Colossians 3. Now, I'm going to read to you because I should have done this. I should have included the first four verses. And let me be real quick about this. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, you can. And then I'll jump down to verse 8. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Check this out. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Okay. 
You, when Jesus died, you and I who are believers died with him. When he rose from the dead, he guaranteed that we will live in the new creation with him forever when he raises up from the dead. This is what verse 4 means. When Christ, who is your life, appears, when Jesus returns and begins the new creation, then we also will appear with him in glory. Right. So someday we're going to live in a perfect world with no sin and no brokenness and no fractured relationships. That's our destiny. Our destiny is this Christian community in Jesus Christ. But look at what Colossians is saying. It's, Paul's not just saying, this is your destiny, this is in the future. Paul is saying this, Christian community is your destiny, but your destiny is right now. The future has been pulled out of the future and into the present. We are the new creation people. We are living now like we will live forever and ever. And that means perfect harmony, no sin. That's why Paul says, since since you have been raised with Christ, if you have been raised with Christ, right now, you've been raised with Christ. I haven't been raised with Christ. I'm still alive. I still have to die. No, no, Paul says, in some sense, I have already been propelled into the new creation. I've been raised with Christ. If that's the case, then look at verse 8. Put away all these things. Put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Why? Because it's not nice to live with people who talk like that? No, because that's in the new creation, that's how we're going to be talking to each other. We're not going to be lying to each other. We're not going to be slandering each other. We're not going to use obscene words. Don't lie to each other, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. See what that means? The new self is this new creation life. You're not living in the old creation anymore, even though you kind of are. It still is 2019 in Glen Carbon. But in another sense, you're living in the new creation right now, so you can live like this. Verse 11. I'm sorry, let me read verse 10 too. It's good stuff. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. There's all kinds of different reasons why you don't want to play with the clarinets next to you. It might be racial. It might be socioeconomic. What Paul's saying, all those things have been torn down. It might be that you guys just don't get along. It might be that they're type A and you're type B. That they're an introvert and you're an extrovert. That they've got ideas about certain missions, certain uh, programs, and you have different ideas. In Christ, that's all done away with. You have to see that your socioeconomic status has been given you as a gift, whatever it is. It could be extreme poverty. And I'm not saying extreme poverty is good. God's going to fix that someday. But God is using that to mold and shape his community. It could be that you're outgoing. God's using that to mold and shape his community. It could be that you're introverted. God's using that to mold and shape his community for his mission. All these things are gone now. Christian unity is our destiny, but it's happening right now. The mission is happening right now. So, what do we do? Life together, right? Life together. Like, you don't, you don't want to sit next to the clarinets. But just sit there and make your music and trust that, that, the, that the symphony that God's composed is a beautiful one. Practically speaking, we should be practicing this. You need to be talking to each other. This is just like basic stuff. You need to be talking to each other. Like, text somebody this week that you haven't texted in the church in a long time and find out how they're doing. Find out somebody in the church this week that's struggling with something. It could be physical. It could be relational. It could be emotional. Like, find that person and go to that problem. Go and ask them, can I help you? Invite somebody out to eat. This is all super basic stuff. Invite somebody that you normally wouldn't eat with. Invite them out to eat with you. Share life together. 
God is writing an incredibly beautiful symphony. He's building this incredibly beautiful building. And he's allowing us to participate with all of our disparate skills. He's allowing us to participate in the building of this building, this new temple of God in Jesus Christ. Amen.